The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. How is your work life going? Business? Home? Social? How about your health? Could you make some changes? Of course you could, but how and where to start? This is Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. In this program, we'll help you identify and make the changes in your life that need to be made, and by doing so, increase your potential for success. And now, here's your host, Hemda Mizrahi. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm Hemda Mizrahi. Today we're going to talk about an achievement that's becoming increasingly accessible across the world, that of becoming a published author. Whether you're writing fiction or nonfiction, you'll learn about what it takes to create a book that meets the highest level of publishing standards. We'll also discuss the options of partnering with a traditional publisher or choosing to self-publish your work. Joining me in New York City to provide guidance on this pursuit is independent book editor and publishing expert, Janet Spencer King. As an independent book editor, Janet has edited many fiction and nonfiction genres and directed her clients in their publishing endeavors. Her expertise is informed by her many different career roles within publishing, including serving as the editor-in-chief of three national magazines, authoring books that were published by major houses, and running her own literary agency. Janet, I'm so honored to host you on the show. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So wearing this cap that you wear so frequently of editor, it would be wonderful to start by talking about the importance of editing and having a professional eye on your book. Yes, absolutely. Um, That's one of the things that literally every publishing professional agrees on, which is not all that common, is that every person needs an editor. And if, as an editor, if, I'm, if I write something, I like to have that edited. The problem is that people cannot look at their own work objectively. You just can't. And that you can be the loftiest kind of writer ever or just starting out. You're still going to need, and you need a professional editor. Your English teacher may be very nice and very helpful, mm-hmm. but she's not a professional mm-hmm. editor. So that's the first reason. The first thing is the reason you need that professional editor, okay, is because she's, she, he or she will look at an objective eye at your manuscript. And this person knows a lot that you do not know. They're professionally trained. They're highly experienced if they've had enough years in the business. And they know how to look for problems in the manuscript. And the problems, there's a wide range of problems that can exist, from the pacing to in nonfiction, the material the uh, accessibility of material, how you develop your characters, how you use your dialogue. Um, it goes on and on and on and on. And also, editors know little tips that maybe writers don't know, especially when they're just sort of starting out. For instance, you know, when you're developing a character in fiction, you give them funny little things, little habits, and, then, and you sort of run that through the, the work, and after a while, your readers start to recognize that person because of that little habit, things like that, which, which make it very nice and, and fun. At what point in the process of book writing would be ideal to bring an editor into the picture? 
uh, that's a very interesting situation. Sometimes people, people very often will wait until they feel they've completed their manuscript. And then it's, we have what's called a developmental edit, which is where the editor takes it and really looks through it very closely and absorbs all of what's right with it and what's wrong with it and tells how to do it. On the other hand, sometimes it's very useful if somebody's struggling with a manuscript or they're still working on the concept to work with a professional editor because that person can help you develop the concept and can also, if you've already started your manuscript, it saves time because that person can look at that manuscript and figure out immediately what your problem, you'd be amazed how quickly you can see the problems, but figure out what the problems are and advise you on how to correct them so as you complete the manuscript, you've got that in your head. And that can be very helpful. So it seems as though if you're earlier in the process of writing, if you haven't had books published previously, then it could be really helpful actually at the concept stage to enlist an editor to really provide you feedback on character development and other issues. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I, I really do agree. A lot of people don't like to do that because they just want to have more under their belt, so to speak, uh, before they, they bring an editor in. And that works fine, too. But, you know, it is efficient to start working with an editor fairly early in the process, especially also if you're going to develop fiction in particular. Um, you know, you can, editors sometimes will start with you and help you develop the characters, help you develop the plotting. It's very detailed and very close work, but it is extremely helpful. So it sounds like also it just really depends on the type of assistance and support that you need. Correct. Or that, that you want. <laughs> And there are different, many different facets then to be attentive to, which we'll talk about a little bit more when we discuss how to create a, be a great book mm -hmm. that meets the highest level of publishing standards. Right. So now, um, I, did, I thought about a little bit of what editors do in terms of how the process works. And uh, as I said, we have developmental editing, which is the first detailed editing. And that's when they go through the entire manuscript, see what the problems are, and it's, everything's commented on. Pacing, as I said, the narrative arc, development of characters, the dialogues. A lot of times people don't understand that your dialogues, your dialogue has to be in that, that character's mouth. And I mean, I remember one person I worked with, and she likes very big words. She's very good with, with big words. But she had, you know, fairly young kids using words that are really a lot of adults wouldn't know. And it just hadn't occurred to her. So, you know, I always say just hear their voice in your head and then you take the words from there. That's, that's fun to do, too. But then also, after the manuscript is developmental and then the revisions, usually take two revision stages to go through, uh, is what we call line editing. And line editing is a polish of the entire, literally line by line. The editor goes through and really uses higher energy words, uh, will help if there are awkward phrasing, uh, the syntax is off, you've got the words in the wrong places, etc., etc. And so that is really the final polish. And then after that, it's ready to go into production. What is the difference between a scenario in which you might engage the services of a ghostwriter as opposed to an editor? Oh, a ghostwriter writes your book. Um, they're, they're people and they specialize in it, they're very good. And usually it would be like a famous person or somebody who's very, very busy. And what they do, they have their idea. Let's, let's say it's a movie star, and so she wants to have her life written. So she'll hire somebody, and they, they will be working. If you're a movie star, you've got a, a contract with a major house, publishing house. And um, so they'll find somebody who knows how to do this, and they spend a lot of time together. 
and the person basically takes a lot of notes. You have a lot of conversation. It, it's very intense experience. And so then you write it. I mean, I've actually done some ghostwriting. It's interesting. It sort of consumes your life for a while. But it's, um, that, that's ghostwriting. And that, that ghostwriting will also be edited, just like any other manuscript. And then with editing, is, as I say, it's when the person works on it, him or herself, and then you know, goes to the editor and then does what I was just explaining. If you have a ghostwriter, then it, there's a distinct person who focuses on editing? It, that is separate from the ghostwriter, correct. Okay. Yeah. And you know, for those who have their concept, they've maybe done some writing, and they're really navigating the direction to take around the actual writing part of their book, what are the scenarios in which actually it would be beneficial to, to have a ghostwriter do the book? Well, the ghostwriters are really, they're, done, they're hired because the person who is supposedly writing the book doesn't know how to write. And also, usually, as I said, is very busy. And writing takes a great deal of time. So that's what the, go- the ghostwriter is. I mean, it's a ghostwriter. It, it says everything right there. Right. So that could be a situation where, in addition to the technical skill of writing that the ghostwriter brings, also for people who don't have the time or would prefer not to invest the time in actually writing it themselves and want someone to help really draw out their story and their ideas. Yes, but you know, in addition to ghostwriting, you can have a co-writer as well. And that person, in that case, the person who's really the, you know, the top name in the book, that person is more involved in the writing of the book. But the per- that, they will do a lot of talking, 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 and then the, their co-writer will do the actual writing down, and then they'll break it down together. So it's a more participatory kind of action. And Janet, as you describe the functions of an editor, the type of investment that's required, there's certainly a lot of detailed investment required of the editor. How does someone find an editor who's a good fit for their particular project? Well, okay, the, all of us have uh, you know, an online presence. And that's one thing that we do, and we try to always have... These are independent editors. We have... Um, you know, we describe what we do. Now, I belong to a small group, which is called Book Development Group, and there are three of us, and we work independently, but we meet regularly just to discuss publishing, what's happening today. We'll talk about if we're having a particularly interesting or, or you know, more difficult client in terms of just the project itself. And we discuss that. It's very, very, very useful. But overall... Um, you have, you know, your own online presence, and then um, a lot of word of mouth. You have happy clients. Happy clients are happy to refer other people to you. Plus, if you have, if you see books, the type of thing that you really like, and you like the way it's written, that editor had a lot to do with that. And very often, usually, in fact, always, clients will thank the editor in the, the acknowledgments in the front. So you can sort of look at that. Also, there are books that are guides. Jeff Herman has an excellent book, which is very popular, and it's a guide to uh, publishing editors and agents, and it lists a lot of people. And that's also a very useful book for understanding a lot of things about publishing in general. So those sound like two really excellent recommendations for those who are navigating this process is looking at this book you said by Jeff Herman. Yeah, it was what I just told you. uh, It's Jeff Herman's Guide to Publishing editors and agents. So looking at that, and then you also provided another interesting suggestion, which is to take a look at books that you really resonate with and have some relation to what it is that you're looking to produce. 
actually, I was going to get into that in a bit when we talk about what makes a professional level book. This is really looking at books, and if you just look at the acknowledgement page, and you'll see editors' names there. And so that's a way of just finding names, and then you can check them out online. Excellent. Is there anything that we didn't touch on that's important for people to know in terms of the role of an editor? Well, I think it's interesting to know the process of the editing because a lot of people who come to me initially, they're, they're nervous. They don't understand exactly how it works. And it's really a very straightforward process. Usually what happens is I am, get a request on email and from somebody, and I will email them back asking them more about the project. You know, is it fiction? Is it nonfiction? How many words? How many words is always very important because it tells you the length of the project. And, um, and then we chat back and forth, and then uh, we email back and forth. And then I, after I get more information, and I ask for some pages of the book, the manuscript, and anything from five to ten pages. And then we have a phone conversation, and I explain to them exactly what I'm explaining now, is this is how it works. And we talk about the questions they have, et cetera. But it gives us a chance to get to know each other. And we talk about the fees at that point. So we get everything straightened out. Then I send them a contract that explains what I'll do. And um, then they send me their manuscript. And so initially I'll go through it. I do that developmental edit. The other thing you can do, too, I should mention, is you can also do a manuscript evaluation, which is not as detailed as a developmental edit. In that, you just read it through. You see where you, you basically talk. It's an overview. You talk about, you know, you're having some trouble on that section. This section is way too slow. So it's much more just quicker overall. But so the developmental edit, which is much, as I said, very in-depth. And then afterward, after I finish it, I send, I'd make up a document. I send that to the, the author. We then talk on the phone at some length about it. We go through it point by point. And then uh, that person can have two revisions. That's the way my contracts run. And uh, they have access to me via email if they're having problems. And so that's, that's how that works. Then, as I said, um, I build line editing into my contracts. I think it's important. And so when they're finished and we're all happy with the manuscript, then it's time for a line edit where all of that is corrected. And the, the prose is made really beautiful. So there's an additional refinement process that happens after you're in agreement really on the piece at large. Yes, yes. Because when you're doing a development edit, you can't really worry a whole lot about a specific sentence, how that's structured, because you're really looking at the plot, you're looking at the characters, you're looking at everything that's happening. But when you get to line by line edit, then you're seeing all those words and the words that are falling a little flat and the phrasing that's not good and and you see if there's repetition, there's too much repetition of, say, a word or an exclamation. Uh, if any of the effort is duplicated in some way. So you're seeing it just in a more detailed eye. So just to summarize this process, you were talking about in the initial phase, of course, discussing the entire process so that the writer knows what to expect. And you're doing a broader edit, Mm -hmm. right, at the initial stage to make sure really the basic components are in place while the story is being told effectively and then you're going into a more detailed editing process. Correct, correct. And then at that point, it's really ready for production, whether it's going into self-publishing or if the author wants to sell it, try and get an agent and sell it to a publishing house. We just have an, a minute left in this segment already, <laughs> and we'll talk about the self-publishing route versus the traditional publishing right. in the next segment. Is there anything else that you would add on the editing piece? Um, just, again, to really emphasize the importance of it, 
you know, people, they get in, oh, well, I'll talk more about this in the next segment, but it's, it's so important to have those professional people looking at your manuscript and helping you. And it's really an investment. That's what one of the important things is that authors really need to think about it, see it as an investment. You know, not, not as money that they're, oh, I have to spend this money. It's money well spent, and it will make all the difference to your manuscript. It makes sense because you, if you don't make that type of investment and then you land yourself in that process of working to publish, then you might encounter those issues and have to backtrack. Absolutely, and it's very difficult. If, like if an agent likes it but not that much because it's not that really complete, it hasn't been well done, that, edit will, that agent will never look at it again. So, you know, you're, waste, you're spinning your wheels if you don't send out the very best manuscript you can possibly have. We're going to go to a quick commercial. When we come back, Janet will discuss an issue that many grapple with. Do I pursue the traditional publishing route or self-publish my book? Stay with us to hear her advice about navigating these two options. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. We're back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, joined by independent editor and publishing expert, Janet Spencer King. Janet talked about the importance of enlisting the guidance of a professional editor to ensure that your book is publishing ready. In this segment, we'll discuss the next step in becoming a published author, deciding which publishing route, traditional or self-publishing, is most compatible for you and your book. Janet, what guidance can you provide about this decision-making process? Well, a lot of it has to do with what your goals are. 
And traditional publishing is more prestigious. It's always nice to have Simon & Schuster or whoever behind your book. Uh, it's also very good in that if you're, if you're publishing with a, a traditional house, that house picks up the cost of production. Uh, you will get an advanced as an author. The advances used to be much better than they are now. That has definitely not kept up with the cost of living, I can tell you that. But nonetheless, it is, you know, it's some money. And, um, and so they will, back in the day, they did a lot of, not a lot, they did some marketing for even the smaller books. That has changed a lot. And as a matter of fact, a lot of the people that I talk to, that I work with, and I ask them what their long-term goals are in terms of getting published. And they say, well, I want to be with a traditional house because I don't want to have to do the marketing. But the reality is that the, even, the big houses basically now put it on the author's shoulders. Um, they put their money, the, the big houses make their money through the big, big, big writers, the great big names that we all know. And so that's where they're going to put their marketing money. They're not going to be putting it behind the smaller ones, especially new writers. So that's those are the considerations in using a traditional house. The other problem is it's very difficult to get an agent. It's always been difficult, but with a small D. Now it's very difficult with a big cap D. And um, the reason the agents want to go with the big publishers because that's where the money is. And so they want to get just the very best, best, best manuscripts they can. And you can spend, I mean, you can spend well over a year looking for an agent and get lots and lots of rejections. Agents also, they look at the first page, and if they don't like it, that's it. They, it's gone. So that this is a very tough process. But um, nonetheless, you know, if you want traditional publishing, there's, there is now, the big publishing houses have now merged into becoming the big five. And even Random House, which is a behemoth in the, in the industry, is nonetheless now part of Penguin. So they're, they're all... There used to be many, many, many imprints with the big houses, and the imprints are just, you know, like, like say, uh, Crown Publishing is part of Random House. And so it's a, that's called an imprint. There are fewer of those these days, which means there are fewer places for, for authors to be published. But there is a silver lining here, They'll be happy, writers will be happy to know, is that there has been a real rise in independent, small independent publishers. And because the agents don't go to them, or they don't go to them very often, they are willing, they're not only willing, they're happy to look at manuscripts without an agent. That's huge. Because for somebody to spend two years looking for an agent, they don't have to worry about that. They can, what you have to do, these are all online. Jeff Herman's book has some of them. Plus, if you go online, you'll find access to a lot of them. And also, if you see cute books and books that appeal to you in, in bookstores, pick them up and look at them. Look at the publisher. They're all over the country. And what they'll do is um, they will work with you, but go to their, their online presence, their website, because all of them have very specific genres that they work with. That, that means the type of book. And so you don't want to send, if you've written a, a romance, you don't want to send it to a Christian house that specializes in biblical studies. And so, you know, it, it's, I mean, it's that stark. There are very specific kinds of, of books that these publishers do. But nonetheless, it's a really wonderful opportunity for writers who don't want to self-publish and who aren't willing to wait forever to see if they can get into a traditional house. So it sounds like there's a more permeable point of entry, or there might be, where you don't have to go through as much of that structured process and correct. the time involved in finding an agent. That's correct, absolutely. With the smaller houses, is there money up front that might be given to a writer? Well, you know, 
yes, I think oh, I'm sure there are some that do not offer advances, but they will pick up the production costs. So that's something to think about. But on the other hand, for instance, I have a, a good friend of mine who's also been a client off and on, and she has published 16 books, and she's quite successful. Uh, she's never had what we call a breakout book, where it's like one big book that everybody's talking about, but she's had lots of, of successful other books. And she got a, a proposal, or she got an, an offer from a smaller publishing, it's one of the better ones actually, and they offered her $2,500, which is like, whoa, that's... Uh, it's not very much, as we all know. But um, on the other hand, you know, in this, this era of publishing, getting an advance at all is, is a good thing. So. so what I'm wondering is, if you're working with a traditional publisher as a first-time writer of a book, what is the likelihood that there are going to be a lot of changes to the content? The likelihood is very low. And the reason is because editors today are so busy with other things. They're very busy with acquisitions, they're very busy working with the sales department, they go to meetings all the time. They don't, and back in the day there was a lot, not a lot, there was a considerable amount of editing. But they, that really doesn't take place, which is another reason why you need to hire a professional editor before you submit your manuscript, because it's not going to change very much. That's interesting. And so, and the same you would say for the smaller publishing houses. Yes, it's. It, I would bet it's been a pretty. They're very lean. You know, there are very few people on staff, and that means that if they're turning out, you know, an average list, they do two lists a year: the spring list and the fall list. Everybody does that, and uh, you know, they're they just don't have time to edit all those books. That's how it works. Is there anything else that you would add in terms of pursuing the traditional publishing route? No, um, that's pretty much covers how it is currently. But what's been very exciting in the business is self-publishing. And that started, I mean, it used to be years and years ago, it was just strictly vanity press, we called it. And that was people who had their book, they wanted to have it published. And very often it would be maybe a history of their family or something like that. And they had it for their own reasons. It wasn't for distribution. And um, those would be very expensive, but people would buy 100 books or whatever and have them printed. Today, self-publishing is not that at all. There are three ways to do self-publishing. One is with, they have big houses, big vendors. They're all over the Internet. You know their names well. They, um, the problem with them is that... Basically, there are three types of services for uh, self-publishing. And you can find a lot of this on the Internet. The first one are what I call the big guys. And they're big companies, various places around the country. And they offer a lot of different packages. They're very rigid. The contracts are rigid. The authors really have very little say-so in terms of how it works. And also, the authors do not own their ISBNs, which we know is important. The companies own and retain the ISBNs. And um, so, they're, 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 as I said, they advertise very frequently, but they are difficult to work with. Um, uh, let me say... Sometimes people aren't too happy, let me put it that way. The second one are the inexpensive ones. These are also all over the Internet. You can come across them very easily, and they charge very, very little. The problem with this is you may or may not own your ISBN. It's sometimes negotiable. You have to just sort of watch that. The problem with that is that there's really no guarantee of quality. It's one of those situations where you get what you pay for. And since you're paying next to nothing, um, that's what you get. You may get some quality if you watch very carefully, but there's no guarantee of it. And so it's good for people who just want to get their book out there or just get their ebook or their book 
to show their friends or that, who don't really, they're not invested in a high-quality book. And then the third one is the personalized one-on-one service, which I do and people like me do. We provide it. And that is an investment. It takes time, and it, it's more expensive. But it's, you're going to get a high-quality, very professional-level book out of that. The design, the cover, the editing, the whole thing. Is, it'll be a book you'll be very proud of. And um, what it is, the, the authors have a lot of personal involvement in that. The, uh, there's a lot of flexibility. It's custom-designed covers, so it's a cover that is designed by a professional, but it's one that meets the author's it makes the author happy, let's put it that way. And uh, so, and the author definitely owns the ISBN. That's absolutely a given. And furthermore, um, the author gets all net profits. It's the after-cost profits. So that's, that's the deal with that. So that's anyone who wants a high-quality book for whom it's important to have a professional-level book that, that on the, the same standards as traditional publishing. That's an excellent way to go. Janet, it sounds, based on your description of these three different types of self-publishing, that prospective authors need to be really vigilant in exploring which service is going to best meet their needs if they're looking to produce a really professional-level book. Absolutely. It's very important because, for instance, with the big guys that I was talking about, because those contracts are so rigid, that the author has very little involvement in terms of who edits the book. Of They do have some selection in terms of the covers, but not necessarily what the author would like to have. So there's a very good chance that you're going to end up with a book that you really don't want and that doesn't meet the standards you'd hope for it. So, yes, so, you know, investigate, investigate very carefully. Look very carefully at the contracts. See exactly what you're getting and if that meets your needs. Janet, it seems that from a reality check perspective, though the process that you're describing with self-publishing, and it could happen maybe with traditional publishing as well, is that it could take some time really for what, it, what you produce to gain substantial momentum. Absolutely. It does. In fact, I read something today online that really sort of depressed me, frankly. They said the average book sells about 250 copies which I thought was really sad. But then on the other side, I said, well, 250 copies, it's a start, you know. But, uh, yeah, publishing's a tough business. Are those stats for self-publishing, or is it a merging of traditional and self-publishing? Basically, I believe that my understanding was it was a merging. Right, so it seems that regardless, coming back to the goal that a person has of producing a high-level book, that if you start off with your ideas and you engage the expertise of a professional editor, either way, whether you go the traditional publishing route or if it emerges that the self-publishing direction is more suited to you or more accessible to you, that you at least maximize your opportunities. Yes. And the thing, it's it's different. Nonfiction is different than fiction because nonfiction people, the authors very often have what we call a platform. They have... um, they're already involved in that business. They know people in that business. They have an expertise. They have something that other people want, which is I want to know how he did that, how he got so successful, how she was managed to do that. And so if they write the books, they're in a better position to have attention. You know, marketing is all about getting attention paid to your book. And so they have access to ways to do that. And that's one of the ways... That the 
Okay, the, the online presence is complicated, and a lot of people, especially authors, they want to write. They don't want to worry about that. But the truth of the matter is there are many ways to get attention to your book. But it, is, it takes time and it takes a lot of effort. But it's the possibility is there. So that's where the fiction writers, that's what they do. That's where they go. And so there's a little difference there, if you see when I, between the nonfiction and the, and the fiction. Right. And I, I recently spoke with a friend and colleague who published a book through traditional publishing. And I think that it took him about three years to find a publisher. Well, good for <laughs> and, him. And during, yeah. that, during that process, he lost an agent, you know, because it was taking a while. You know, just to communicate that message that it sounds like you're bringing across is that there's a lot of investment, obviously, that goes into writing a book, and then you're also dealing with the financial aspects. So, yes. And one thing about self-publishing with a personal one-on-one is that you, the author does bear the cost of that. So there's that consideration. But, you know, I always tell my clients, because, of course, the first question they have is, do you think this book will sell? And I can't predict that. Nobody can predict that. But I always tell them, if you love the process of writing, which most people who write a book do, look at that as your reward for now. And then later we'll see what happens with the book, or we'll see, like, after the second or third book, what's going to happen with the books. But for the moment, really take joy in writing. That's like that book that says, love what you do and the money will follow. Right. But the, so <laughs> keeping in mind that as you're budgeting your time and your financial resources, that the revenue stream may not come right away and mm-hmm. could take time. And likely will not. Thank you, Janet. We're going to segue to a brief commercial. We talked about some of the key facets that make for a great book. When we return, Janet will take this a step further. She'll respond to the question, how can you create a book that meets the highest level of publishing? Stay with us. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. Many industries have been revolutionized by technology in the last decade. Books, music, TV, communications, and now it's happening to our money and the way we pay. Tune into Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how technology and customer behavior will bring about more changes in banking in the next 10 years than in the last 200 years. Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on Voice America Business Channel or on AM 1160 The Voice. You'll never look at your bank account the same again. Are you a business leader or owner who's ready for a lifestyle change? If conditions in your company's environment or marketplace are reducing your quality of life, now might be a good time to develop an exit strategy. Creating a transition plan enables you to pace your need for change while celebrating an enriching career. Ensure that you exit on a high note by enlisting the expertise of Hemda Mizrahi. Learn more at lifeandcareerchoices.com. You are listening to Turn the Page with Hemda Mizrahi. Got a question or comment for the show today? Please call in to 
1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to hosthemda at gmail.com. Now, back to Turn the Page. Welcome back. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, speaking with independent editor and publishing expert Janet Spencer-King. Janet provided guidance on navigating the options of traditional publishing versus the self-publishing route. This final segment will focus on how you can create a book that meets the highest level of publishing standards. Janet, when we talk about the highest level of publishing standards, would you break that down for us a little bit? Well, it, it's a book that's well-written, that's well-edited, that's well-produced. It's a book that you go to Barnes & Noble and you pick up and you look at it. It's a beautiful book. And that's really what we call the highest standards of professional publishing. And that's what self-publishing, to me, that's the goal you should have. And when you say a beautiful book, do you mean visually beautiful? That too. Tell us more about what makes a great book. Uh, visually beautiful as well. And, um, you know, you want... It's very easy to tell the, the lower end of the self-publishing books because they have, they have covers that are not attractive. And you want a cover that's beautiful, a color that's evocative of your story, a cover that readers will stop and say, ooh, that looks interesting. You want those kinds of, all of those things are important. When the reader opens the book, you want a book that does not have typos. You want a book that's formatted beautifully so the type is even and lovely and it's a lovely font that makes it very readable. And all of those things add up to making a high-level book. If you're not being published by a traditional publisher, then working with an independent editor and someone who can direct this process, you'll get that kind of feedback. Yes, yes, that's part of, yes, you will. But, you know, one of the problems, too, is that a lot of people, because of self-publishing, people are excited about the fact they can have a book with their own name on it, and I think that's fabulous. But a lot of people don't realize that writing is not just talent. Writing is also a skill set. And people will launch into, I've had manuscripts sent to me, and someone will say, well, I, you know, I say, did you, have you had workshops? Have you studied writing? Oh, no, 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 I just love to write. Well, you know, it, it shows that they haven't learned to write. So the first thing I, I advise people is if you're interested in writing a book, which is going to take you a lot of time and a lot of energy and a lot of focus, learn how to write. And there are many ways you can do this. You have your idea, think about your idea, go to workshops and, you know, take workshops, and there are many, many of those in New York City and other cities, and I think even smaller cities, because a lot of people like to write. Also, there are writers' conferences all over the country, and these are, I highly recommend these. And the reason is because they have workshops and presentations, and they will, sh- you know, you'll see a whole list of what they do, maybe how to develop your protagonist, uh, how to have conflicting points of view, how to have... Um, you know, those, in other words, it's the, the more detailed aspect of writing. But it's very important for you to learn those, that stuff. And that's one of the places you can. Also at the conferences, you'll meet agents and you'll meet editors. And so that's when we were talking earlier about how do you find these people. That's a wonderful place to do it. And they're fun. They're really fun. I, I love giving presentations at workshops at, at writers' conferences. Janet, keeping in mind that our listenership is international, mm-hmm. I'm curious about this other layer. When you're writing a book and you're interested in capturing a global readership for your book, if there are any particular suggestions you have along those lines. 
Definitely. First of all, there are many, many very good books on t- that teach how to write. And if you're doing nonfiction, there are a lot of them, that, that, that and including for your business. And International has so much business. And it talks about how to do that, how to, to access that kind of topic. And then there's also a lot of them on how to write novels and how to do fiction. And fiction is fiction. I mean, no matter, it doesn't matter if you're in China or, well, China maybe, but it, you know, in Europe or in the States, it's still fiction. I mean, a lot of our bestsellers are European writers. And, um, and some also Middle Eastern, I think, is very interesting. But um, so, that, so that what I suggest to people, and I think is very, very useful, is pick out books that are in the genre of writing that you want your book to be in or your book is in. And read and read and read. Get books that are the same genre. And if you're in, a, in another country, read the books from your country because they might be slightly different than what we would see here in the States. And learn and absorb how those books, how those authors approach those books. How did they handle, say, dialogue? How did they handle description? If they had one character in trouble, how did they handle getting that character out of trouble without flatlining the book? So all of those things, you learn so much from doing that. Plus, it's, it's pleasurable. It's an interesting point that you're making about learning technical writing skills. Because... Mm-hmm. Also, with the growth of memoirs, memoirs right? are we, hugely <laughs> popular now. Hugely, yeah. And we hear we hear someone's story in conversation, and we say, "Wow, this is an incredible story! You should write a book about it." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then you're talking about the translation of this amazing story into a written form that is going to appeal to people, that's going to connect with people, that's going to sell. Yeah, memoir writing is very interesting. It's interesting to work with people who have a memoir to talk about. And um, the problem with it is that however fascinating you find your life and however fascinating your friends find your life, you have to, with memoir, you have to structure it in such a way that the world finds it fascinating. And so it's a combination of how detailed do you get and how broad a brush stroke do you do. But also, there are also legal issues to consider, as we mentioned, because... you're talking about real people in real time, and those people are going to recognize who Uncle Joe is. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's also up to the writers how personal do they want to get in, in terms of revealing their own life. And um, I worked with one writer who had a fascinating, she was adopted and didn't know it until she was 18. And that coming to terms with it, her father was, had a very exotic, her natural father had a very exotic background and culturally was different. And so it was a real struggle, and she was very close to her adopted parents. It was a real struggle. And that kind of thing, it's, it's really, really interesting. But again, too, there were issues with how much could you say and not say. But memoir writing is fun. And also with memoir writing, one of the things I like about that for self-publishing is it can be a wonderful record of your, the family's history. And even for just the family, it's, it's uh, not a bad thing. You mentioned specifically self-publishing in relation to memoirs. As opposed to traditional publishing, you know, yeah, memoirs. I think I think memoirs are a particularly hard to sell for tradi- or traditional houses, unless there's something famous or you know, I mean, like Running with Scissors and books like that. That, had, but those are sort of now in the past. <laughs> there have been so many of those that that now they like to have something fresh and different. That's always a problem because you spot a trend as an author, and you say, "Hey, I can do that," but then. If there are too many people doing that trend, which by now there probably are, 
that makes it tough. So you have to sort of be ahead of the curve if you're going to write about things that are popular. When someone comes to you and they say, I have this idea Mm -hmm. for a book, what do you think about it? How do you respond in those kinds of situations? Because it seems that there are a lot of steps. You can come up with an idea, and then you mentioned also that idea brings forth the question about how much a person actually really would want to reveal if they're writing a nonfiction book that relates to their own life story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yes, it's also too. I want to write a book is not the same as I am committing to writing this book. Because if a book is a big thing. You know, I, I, years ago I was a magazine editor, and a lot of times people will say to me now, gee, I have such a great idea for a book. But you know what? It's really a magazine article. It's about that kind of length and intensity and substance. And so that, that's the, the first question you have to ask. Is this subject really big enough, broad enough, intriguing enough to carry a book? And a book can, you know, shorter books are popular now, which is probably a relief for a lot of authors to find out they don't have to write as many words as they used to. But um, that's, and then also, too, is the, the personal element. How much of the personal element is there? How much are you willing to revolve, involve? Janet, how can you get informed feedback about that question before launching into a greater commitment to initiate an investment that's required to write a high-level book? Well, for nonfiction, in fact, I just did this very recently with a client. Um, She had a terrific idea. She didn't know anything about writing at all. And so I started from the very first with her. I said, okay, let's, let's brainstorm ideas. And she said, okay, and then we've got it, right? We can, I said, no, no, we don't have it. Then we have to keep brainstorming. And it was funny because I had to talk her into brainstorming quite a bit because she wanted to move quickly into, now we have an outline. Well, no. And so you, you help them develop the ideas that they have, and you help the, the person see the broadness of the ideas. And if they can see... Like for instance, what I do is I have them brainstorm every single idea and then go through and start marking down what are obviously topics, not just ideas. So they can begin to see, they begin to break down what's important, what are sidelights. And once they do that, they start to see how much of a book do I really have. Now, for instance, it turned out that she had a lovely book, which is just coming out of production now. But sometimes people look at it and say, you know, come to think of it. Or they'll say, they might say, come to think of it, it's, it's not that great. Or they might say, I'm not really willing to commit the kind of time and effort I would have to make to writing this book. I'm going to find something else. And so, you know, purpose has been served. Yeah, that sounds actually like also a productive outcome. Absolutely. You don't want to get somebody, I mean, writing a book is intense. You don't want to get somebody into it to, and have them find out six months from the line that they hate it and they don't want to be doing this. You know, you don't want them to waste their time. For someone to come with you with an idea to get some feedback on and also have you pose questions for them to think it through further, what what type of costs are involved and what time, type of timeline is involved? Well, you know, it's very difficult to talk about what fees are specifically because so much of it depends on the very specific situation that it is. Consultation fees... Um, Usually, what I, you know, I don't know. I've never actually thought and broken it down that way. Um, it's not, it's, it's not cheap. I'll put it that way. Except in publishing, we're supposed to say it's not, it's not inexpensive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, um, and time-wise, a lot of that has to do with the client, how how willing they are. 
like this client I was just talking about, she completed the book within a year, which is unusual. It's rare. And she's only 30,000 words, which is not a big book. But I was amazed that she was able to do it. A lot of people, it's several years and sometimes even more. Right. So it sounds like the situations are extraordinarily individual. Mm-hmm. And wherever you are right now on the continuum, whether you have a, an idea that you think is great or if you've actually completed a manuscript and you'd like to take it to the next level, it seems like the underlying point is that you need to consult with someone who is very well informed mm-hmm. about the industry at large. Yes, I agree. Definitely. We have just a couple of minutes left. Mm-hmm. Is, are there any other words of wisdom that you would like to share about writing a great book or the publishing process? Well, you know, basically is to have fun with it, and it, you're going to have a lot of hard work, no question. But writing, it is fun. And one of the things, too, that I like to point out, writing is revision. You just have to know. You, you may think your manuscript is perfect. It's not. It's going to have revisions. But revisions are really you have something concrete to work with. And now you can look at it and say, okay, I'm working with the editor. How are we going to make this better? And that's a very, very satisfying experience. The point that I'm taking away is that we can maybe consider it like raising a kid. Oh, that's true. Right? <laughs> when you really need to connect with where your motivation is, what your impetus is, if there's something that you think you need to express and you think writing might be the way for you to express it, then go with that idea, test it out, find the partnership of someone who's skilled, who can give you informed feedback and help you to really bring out your best. Absolutely. Well said. Thank you, Janet. This has been extremely informative and supportive. And I think also the point that you were making is that you have to balance out this perspective of what some of the realities are and then also keep your motivation intact. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, too. Not be intimidated by this. If you love to write, you just keep going. If you think about the huge learning and growth and success experiences you've had in your life, if you knew ahead of time what was involved, right, you probably wouldn't have stepped into them. Probably. Thank you, Janet. Thank you. You can find out more about Janet and her services at Spencer King Author services.com that's spencer s-p-e-n-c-e-r king k-i-n-g author services with an s at the end.com janet also invites you to contact her through her website if you have comments or unanswered questions about today's episode i welcome you to email me at hosthemda at gmail.com or please share your thoughts with me on twitter at hemda mizrahi and facebook at turn the page radio Until next week, remember to make the grass greener where you are. I'm Hemda Mizrahi, inviting you to turn the page. Thank you for tuning in to our program. Turn the Page can be heard live every Friday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next week's show, enjoy your weekend and make one change in your life before then. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 